Hi. Today is Palm Sunday. And so this uh, entire next week is what the church historically calls Holy Week, which means Monday, Thursday is coming, and no one ever knows what Monday, Thursday is, so we just kind of go right by it to Good Friday. So Monday, Thursday actually is historically where the church will have uh, foot washing take place. Uh, but we're going to have a Good Friday service, so Good Friday at 6.30. Love to see you here. And if there's Good Friday, there's always Easter, but between it comes Holy Saturday. But then Easter, yes. So we will have an Easter service as well. And uh, we have a lot of fun stuff happening on Easter Sunday, and Elsie uh, has put together a sign-up sheet in the back. We have a number of areas where we need volunteer help on Easter Sunday, so if you'd be willing to take a look at that list, we need some help with kids, we need some help with an Easter egg hunt, uh, some help with the potluck. You, did everyone get a uh, little Easter information in your folded thing that you got when you walked in the door? All right, so you got it all. There you go. I don't need to tell you anything because you already know all the exciting things happening. Pictures will be taken. Mary Beth will be taking pictures on Easter morning. Yes, that's the only thing that engendered any excitement was pictures. He is risen. Oh, pictures. Okay. We're going to be in Genesis 33 this morning. We have been exploring the idea of becoming whole, and uh, we're all becoming something, right? We're all on the journey of becoming. We're either becoming more bitter or we're becoming more hopeful. We're either becoming more indifferent or we're becoming more loving. We're either becoming more unforgiving or more Forgiving. Jesus invites us to the journey of becoming whole. And as we've explored this journey of becoming whole, uh, a number of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jacob after he had lied, cheated, and stolen the blessing. He runs away because Esau wants to kill him. His brother Esau wants to kill him. And as he's running away, he spends the night somewhere. He uses a stone for a pillow, and he has a dream, and God shows up, and there's angels ascending and descending the staircase to heaven. God showing Jacob, heaven is not as far away as you think. Heaven and earth are intimately connected God's presence is right here among us, and that's what God says to Jacob, I am with you. doesn't matter what you've done, though you've lied, cheated, stolen, I am present to you. I am present to you, and I will watch over you, and I will bring you back. Jacob goes and stays with his father-in-law Laban, gets married twice within a week, has several children. 20 years later, God says this. Go back to the land your fathers of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. I will be with you. And so, Jacob returns. But, He's not convinced yet that God is present to him in the way God promises to be present to him because he's afraid of his brother Esau. And what we looked at last week 
was the story of Jacob preparing to meet Esau. And he sends all this cattle ahead of him to appease Esau, to pacify him, to try to pay him off. Hopefully he'll forgive me if I give him enough stuff. And he sends all this stuff ahead of him to try to appease Esau. Jacob must face Esau, but first he must face God. And so we looked at the story of Jacob facing God. He wrestles with God, and he ends up with a new name, a new identity, a new blessing, and a new limp. And he goes limping away from his encounter with God, but a changed man because he has been blessed by God. See, that which Jacob had always deepest longed for, he realized, is found in God and God's blessing. He thought what he longed for was the blessing of his father, and he was willing to lie and cheat and steal to get it. But as he is grasping onto God and not letting God go, what he deepest, his deepest longing is for God's blessing. And God blesses him. And Jacob says, I saw God face to face, and I lived to tell about it. Not only that, but he has a new name, a new identity, a new blessing, and a new limp. He saw God face to face. I want to talk for a second about faces. So if I can have the first face in that slideshow. What does that face communicate to you? Happy? Yeah. Trusting? Next face. What does that face say? Fear. Anxiety? Next face. What does that face say? Sad. Next face. What does that face say? (laughs) What does that face say? Love. What does that face say? Anger. What does that face say? When I am old, even if I have no teeth, I hope I have that face. What do those faces say? Uh, my new friend Stan came out uh, to our house the other day, and uh, he said, I was beginning to wonder if you were married. I never, never see your wife. Uh, <laughs> it's because she's out riding go-karts on Sunday morning, Stan. <laughs> uh, our very own Paul Gray made this go-kart, and so my kids and Jenna go up to the Gray's house and play while I'm at work. Uh, <laughs> now, my wife is always next door with the kids, but look at those faces. That's uh, fun. Yeah. Faces communicate a lot, don't they? Uh, much of our communication, in fact, most of our communication happens non-verbally. And so when we look at someone's face, we read something in their face, we see something in their face. We can often tell what's going on with a person simply by looking at their face. Uh, Sometimes, in fact, often, we misinterpret faces, right? We look at someone's face and we might think they're angry when really they're 
concentrating and trying to understand something. But faces communicate something to us. Jacob needed to face Esau, but first he had to face God. And he walks away from God with a new name, a new identity, a new blessing, and a new limp. And we pick up the story in Genesis 33, Jacob limping along, looks up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. Now, if you remember from last week, Jacob had sent these men forward to inform Esau, I'm coming, and they come back to Jacob and say, "Uh, your brother Esau is coming out to meet you with 400 men. And this freaked Jacob out. He's afraid. He's filled with fear. So he starts sending all this cattle ahead of him to try to appease his brother, to try to pay his brother off. And now Jacob sees Esau and the 400 men coming. And this is what Jacob does. Verse 2, middle of verse 1. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I think something has shifted in Jacob. In Genesis 32, Jacob is sending everyone ahead of him, and he stays behind. He wants to see how Esau is going to react. And he's going to let Esau's anger and wrath unravel to everyone else first to see what happens. In Genesis 32, he's devising a getaway plan, separating into two camps. And if one camp is attacked, he's going to get away with another camp. But since he has faced God, I think what Jacob also has is a new courage. And he is not sure what will happen when he encounters Esau, but what he has been reminded of is that God is with him. God is present with him. And so rather than when he sees Esau send everyone ahead of him and him lag behind, instead Jacob puts everyone behind him and he leads the way to be the first one to face Esau. And he does so by bowing, 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 seven times. A posture of humility and conveying to Esau, you are my Lord, I am your servant. Again, like we talked about last week, he is reversing the language of the blessing. Isaac had said to Jacob, thinking he was Esau, You will be Lord over your brothers, and your brothers will serve you. When Esau comes to Isaac looking for the blessing, and and Isaac realizes he's been deceived, he says, I gave the blessing to your brother, and you will serve your brother. Jacob reverses the language in Genesis 32 and calls Esau Lord and himself servant, and then shows he is Esau's servant by bowing. 
Esau, however, in verse 4, ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What has happened to Esau? Twenty years ago, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Twenty years later, Esau's posture is one of love, forgiveness, and welcoming home. He is so overcome by the sight of his twin brother, he welcomes him home with open arms, embraces him, kisses him, and weeps. This, to me, is one of the most powerful images in the book of Genesis. There are many powerful images in the book of Genesis, but this one is one of the most powerful. And it's often one that's not talked about a lot. We, we talk about Jacob and Esau and their struggle and, and uh, that they're enemies. We don't seem to talk a lot about this scene of reconciliation. It's an amazing image of reconciliation and God's heart for us. Verse 5, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For I see, for to see your face is like seeing the face of of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Over the course of these few verses, the reason for Jacob's gift shifts. It started out as appeasement to try to pacify Esau, Once he realizes he doesn't have to do that, that Esau has already forgiven him, it turns into a true gift. No, please, take it. God has been gracious to me. I have all I need. Please, keep it. What was the purpose of the blessing that was given to Abraham? God blessed Abraham, said, you'll be a great nation for what purpose? to bless all nations. Jacob has been handed down this blessing. I think he's beginning to understand the true meaning of the blessing, that the blessing was not for him to keep to himself, but to share with the world. And he shares with his brother Esau. 
We are blessed. Why? To be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. We've been given much so that we can give much. We've been loved much so that we can love much. We've been forgiven much so that we can forgive much. I think Jacob's beginning to understand this new blessing and new name and new identity he's been given by God as he limps along through life trying to figure it out. Jacob says to Esau, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Faces. Uh, Studies show that infants prefer faces to any other object. And so infants will look at a face longer than they'll look at any other object. They're fascinated by faces. The studies show that identity formation happens for infants by looking at faces. So it's no wonder that they're most attracted to the faces of their parents or primary caregivers. Uh, I can hold the attention of my children. Uh, I've done this with all my kids playing peekaboo. You know, you hide your face and then you show your face and they laugh and smile and then you hide their face and what happens to their face? The, the laughter and smile immediately diminishes until you show your face again. And then they laugh and smile. Uh, infants respond to happy faces more positively than they do to other faces, whether they be sad faces or angry faces. And their attention is captivated when it's not a human face. Studies show that their attention is most captivated by objects that resemble faces, whether it's like a pitcher or a teddy bear or even really abstract things like this. <laughs> Seriously, that's one of the studies I read. Even an abstract item like an electrical outlet that somehow resembles a face to a child. So children are formed and attracted to the face to faces. As we get older, as adults, uh, we find ourselves often less comfortable facing each other. We, we find ourselves less comfortable looking people in the eye. We find ourselves less comfortable, like if I walked up to you, I walk up to Tom, hey, how you doing? I mean, that gets pretty uncomfortable quite quickly, right? If I'm like right in your face. Uh, When the first humans turn their face away from God's face and chose autonomy from God, when the first humans chose their way rather than God's way, this is what the text tells us, Genesis 3. They hid themselves from the face or presence of the Lord God. The, the Hebrew word for face also means presence. They hid themselves from the face of God. Why? The text tells us because they were afraid and they felt shame. And so they hid. 
we carry so much fear, so much pain, so much shame around with us that we often avert our face. We avert our eyes because we don't want people to read our face. We don't want people to really know what's going on deep down. Because if you knew, you might reject me. And so there's this deep fear of our faces, our hearts, being truly known. And so we avert our faces, we avert our eyes, and we try to get, keep people from truly seeing our face. Now, in Genesis 32, this is what Jacob said to his messengers going ahead to Esau. Be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Now, we read that, and we talked about that last week, and what that meant for Jacob to try to appease or pacify uh, Esau to pay him off. Um, But what we didn't talk about is what's hidden here. Because this is what the translation says, but the translation misses something huge, I think. Something beautiful that the author of Genesis is painting for us. And if we read this in a literal translation, this is what it says. You will speak to Esau when you see him, and you will say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought, I will appease his face with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept my face. So the present went over before his face, and he lodged that night in the camp. Four times the word face used in these two verses, none of them translated, at least in the NIV, as face. I'm going to send these gifts ahead in hopes that I will appease his face. Then I will see his face, and perhaps he will receive my face. What was Esau's face the last time Jacob saw his face? It was a face of anger. It was a face of hatred. It was a face of murder. What was Jacob's face the last time Esau saw Jacob's face? It was a face of deceit, it was a face of treachery, and it was a face of fear, I'm out of here. What is Jacob hoping? He's hoping Esau's face has changed. And he's hoping that Esau will look at his face and see that his face has changed, that he has changed so much is communicated 
by the face. And Jacob comes limping along to face Esau. And when he sees him in the distance, he puts everyone behind him. He goes in front and he bows seven times. He's bowing so he can't see Esau's face because his face is down. And Esau runs to greet his brother, embraces him, and weeps. Jacob cannot see the changed face of Esau until he looks up. And when he looks up, he looks at the face of Esau, and what does he see? The face of God. Who had Jacob just faced? I saw the face of God, and I lived. And then he goes to meet Esau, and he says, to see your face is to see the face of God. What does Jacob see? He sees the face of love, and he sees the face of forgiveness. He sees a changed face. The last time he saw that face, it was hatred, it was anger, it was murder. This time, he sees God's face in Esau's face. When you forgive someone, it is as if you are the face of God to them. They see the face of grace. They see the face of love. They see the face of forgiveness. When someone forgives you, it is as if they are the face of God to you. Because you experience the face of grace. You experience the face of love. You experience the face of forgiveness. When Jacob says, I saw God face to face and I lived, the Hebrew word for face there is penim. It means face or presence or to turn. So when we, we talk about seeking God's face, we're seeking God's presence. Interestingly, this word can also mean to turn. Uh, what did God tell Jacob in Genesis 31? Return to your homeland and to your family. Jacob, you have been facing this way for 20 years. I'm still with you. It's time to turn your face and go home and face what you did there. We, we use this language of saving face or losing face. Uh, Jacob does not want to lose face. He wants to save face. And God says, turn your face and go home and face what you left. And I will be with you. I will be present to you. My face will be with you. This is the whole story over and over and over again of Israel. Exile and return. Exile 
and return, exile and return. And Jesus comes onto the scene 2,000 years ago and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying you're a wicked, horrible, loser, sinner, repent or God's going to get you. He's saying, I have come to show you the face of God. It is the face of love. It is the face of forgiveness. Turn your face toward my face and see it. Repent means you're going one way and you turn or return and go the other way. It is to turn your face from one direction to another direction. And Jesus is inviting everyone to return to God and see the face of love and the face of forgiveness. Jesus retells the story of Israel in Luke 15. He tells the story of a father and two sons and the younger son goes to his father and asks for the inherit, his share of the inheritance, which is basically telling the father, I wish you were dead. Will, will you give me the inheritance now? And the, and the father says, okay, and gives his younger son his inheritance. And the younger son goes off to a far country and squanders the wealth in wild living. He is left powerless and with nothing. Feeding pigs which is the worst possible job a Jew could imagine. And then he comes to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So he rehearses this speech he's going to give to his father when he gets home in hopes that his father will just let him come back as a servant. I'm not worthy to be your son, but can I just come back as a servant? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. When Jesus tells this story in the first century, in the Jewish consciousness, they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. That's what Esau did to Jacob. Jacob comes to Esau groveling, bowing. This son comes to his father groveling, bowing. Esau comes running towards Jacob and embraces him. The father comes running towards the son and embraces him. And in the first century Jewish consciousness, they're saying, we've heard this story. We've heard this story. What what happened? Jacob said, to see your face is to see the face of God. And it becomes very clear to the listeners of this story in the first century. The father is God. And this is how God welcomes home the exile. This 
is how God welcomes home the one who has turned his face for so long away from God and has now said, I'm not even worthy to be called God's child, but hopefully he'll make me his servant, and goes home, and the father receives the son with open arms. And the son sees the face of God, the face of love, the face of forgiveness. And the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. A reaction the son could never prepare himself for. Just hoping that his father will let him be a servant. His father doesn't even let him finish his speech. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who we are, God is with us. And God welcomes us home with open arms and throws a party. Book of Hebrews says we approach the throne of grace how? With boldness. Not groveling, but with boldness. Why? Because God will not listen to us say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He will bring the finest robe and put a ring on our finger and kill the fattened calf and celebrate that we have returned. I wonder how many of us this morning need to see the face of God. How many of us this morning need to see the face of love, the face of forgiveness, the face that welcomes us home? And throws a party. I wonder of us how many of us need to be that face to someone else. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, with some old friends of mine from Michigan, and uh, one of the people I was with, we were having a meal, and um, he was my old boss at a uh, church I was a part of in Michigan. He was the lead pastor. His name's Don, and uh, Don and I were talking, and he's now uh, a vice president at World uh, Vision in Seattle. And um, we were talking about our old church, and he brought up a, a guy that we used to work with, um, someone who I consider a friend, who I have a lot of good memories with, but someone who I also had uh, a lot of problems with. Um, I... Uh, and I would often talk to my friend about these. I wasn't dishonest with him. I was very upfront and honest with him about the way he treated others, uh, viewing others for their utilitarian value, what can they do for me, uh, rather than as human beings. And Don brought this person up, our mutual friend, and I said some things uh, that I later realized, you know what, I, I didn't need to say that. And it made me realize, uh, 
maybe I'm still on the journey of forgiveness. I have not yet arrived. And so I contacted Don, and I said, uh, that was inappropriate, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And Don was the face of forgiveness instead of course. And I know it's nothing you haven't said to him personally yourself, but it still was not appropriate. Will you forgive me? Why are those words so hard for us to say? Will you forgive me? They may be the hardest words in the English language. If we're humble enough, we might be able to admit we're wrong. But we live in a culture that says never admit you're wrong. But we might get to a place of admitting we're wrong, but to actually say the words, will you forgive me? When's the last time someone said those words to you? When's the last time you said those words to someone else? This morning, we're going to partake of this good gift, this Eucharist. And we do so as a community. We celebrate communion. Because we need to be the face of forgiveness to each other. And as we come, we get to remember what Christ did for us. That he is the face of forgiveness. His body broken and his blood poured out for the sake of the world. As you come and partake this morning, I wonder if you're like me and you you need to see the face of God afresh. You need to know that God is with you, not against you. You need to know that God's face is a face of love and a face of forgiveness, not a face of anger and retribution. And I wonder this morning, is there someone in your life that you need to face? Jacob needed to face God before he could face Esau. Uh, Is there someone you need to face? And say those words, will you forgive me? Uh, Is there someone in your life who you need to be the face of God for? And because of what God, through Christ, has done for you, you can say in your heart, I forgive that person. Uh, Jesus left us this gift to remember and to long for. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come, when there will be a big party. This is a party. We celebrate 
when we come to this table. We celebrate what Christ has done. We celebrate together as a community as we face each other and show each other the face of God, the face of Jesus, the face of love, the face of forgiveness. God, thank you. Thank you that your face is one of forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love beyond our wildest imagination. Thank you that you always invite us to return, to turn our face, to face you, and that you celebrate us as your children. God, as we take this bread and dip it in this cup, make us mindful of your face and all you have done for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. As you go, may you seek God's face, and may you know that he is present to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace be yours. Amen.